0: Hey everyone! Welcome to tonight's World Series Game Seven episode of uh, the Dan and Joe Sports Show. As always, I'm Dan. And hey, I'm Joe. Well, Joe, tell us about our special guest we have that's joining us tonight. Yeah, hey Dan. Uh, we are joined by my friend Rachel, who is an alumnus of
1: the University of Arkansas, huge uh, Razorback fan. Knows a lot about SEC sports, uh,
2: baseball. And she's kind enough to join us via uh, conference call. So.
0: Thank you so much, Rachel. Thanks for having me, you guys. Good deal. Well, Rachel, with it being Game 7 of the World Series, why don't you uh, tell us your thoughts on who's going to win right now. I know it's, it's one to nothing, but do you like Scherzer to finish it out and get Nationals their first World Series, or do you think the Astros are going to hold that 1-0 lead and get Game 7? You know, I've always been a National
2: League fan, fan of the undergogs. I'd love to see the Nationals get their first World Series title. But my first minor league baseball internship was with the now Astros affiliate. So I have a lot of friends that are at the game, working the game, have the opportunity to get some World Series rings. So, you know, my, my heart's torn a little bit. But, uh, you know, it's a home crowd in Houston. I know no one's won at home yet. But, you know, I, I think I could see Houston pulling it out. But I'd be happy if you were winning. Well, what do you, you think? Know, of? You know, the weird thing about the series is the fact that the road team has won the previous six games for the first time in American professional sports—not just baseball—that that's happened in a seven-game series. But tonight, things are looking up for the home team, the Astros. They're ahead right now, two to nothing, had another run.
1: And they're threatening uh, to add more with a runner on third in the bottom of the fifth inning. Uh, Max Scherzer, you know, what he's trying to do, Dan and Rachel, um, you know, coming off Sunday where he had missed a start, had to take a cortisol shot, he couldn't even feel his arm, when he woke up on Sunday morning. And here he is uh, three days later starting in the World Series. I mean, what do y'all think
0: about someone just persevering through that? I mean, it's just, it's just remarkable to me. Yeah, I think it's really impressive, Joe. And I, I kind of think that it's going to be similar to what happens if Tua ends up playing against LSU in a couple of weeks because, I mean, you could see the, the depth of the injury he had. And with Scherzer, I mean, I, I was watching a little bit of the game earlier and they were going in-depth into the back injury that he had. and I, It's always impressive to have to play through an injury. Brings me back to Tiger Woods winning the 2008 U.S. Open, which until last year was the last one he won with severe knee pain. and Just impressive uh, human ability there. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, speaking of starting pitching, another weird statistic for me associated with this series is the struggles of Justin Verlander. This guy has won 225, I think, career games in the regular season. He's going to be the first ballot Hall of Famer, yet he has the dubious record of 0-6 in the World Series. I mean, how does that happen? I don't know, Joe. I mean, sometimes you have some people that when they get on the brightest lights they don't do good, and it happens a lot with pitchers. I mean, a lot of people say that about uh, who's the Dodgers pitcher. Uh, Clayton Karshaw's got some kind of the same label right there that when it gets to the World Series or when it gets to big games, he can't get it down in the playoffs. So, Verlander, while he has the most experience out of just about anybody, I mean, he really, I think until he was with the Astros, he never even won a World Series. Yeah, Rachel, uh, he brought up uh, Clayton Kershaw.
2: have not you told me before a story or two about him? Yeah, I had the opportunity to meet Clayton Kershaw when he was in high school. Uh, he was playing the USA Baseball Tournament back when it was held in Joplin Missouri, at Mickey Bales Oldfield, Joe Becker Stadium. It's you know special for me. It's how I got my start in baseball. We were a host family, and it was the top 144 high school baseball players from the country competing. And Clayton Kershaw uh, played on the team that we hosted for. We stayed with one of my parents' friends. He's been to our house. Um, it was really cool, you know. Then you know that they could be something, but you never really know what these players are going to, you know, come out to be. And then I remember his rookie year. Watching some games and hearing the name. I mean, I, I know that name. I met him somewhere. And went and looked at the sign poster in my dad's basement and realized that I met Clayton Kershaw when he was 16, you know, just a year after I met Buster Posey. Uh, so just kept it rolling there. But um, he's, he's a really nice uh, gentleman. He's lucky he's good at baseball. I'll just, after some conversations with him, he's. He's lucky he's an outstanding
0: pitcher, that's for sure. Well, so, so you can't leave it off just right there. Uh, are you saying that he's uh, not the nicest person, terrible personality? Well, where are you going with that? He's, he's very nice, uh,
2: very difficult to hold a conversation with him. He's
0: not the sharpest tool in the shed. So good he can throw a baseball at Yeah. Yeah,
2: yeah.
0: Um, so how did you meet Buster Posey? Was it a similar situation?
2: Similar situation. The first year we hosted, he was on the team, and we hosted the team party at our house. Um, and he—I remember looking at back at pictures. Buster Posey was sitting on my couch when he was 16. I was a young little nine-year-old, and all my friends wanted to come over because we had this house full of high school baseball players. And you know, Harry Potter jelly beans were the thing, and he would take my jelly beans from me. And so to this day. Buster Posey still has new jelly beans. Doubt he remembers, but uh, ran into him again back in 2013 in Scottsdale, Arizona, spring training. One of the players that we hosted alongside Buster Posey that year was playing out there with the Giants in spring training. We went out for spring break to see him and ran into Buster again and reminisced a whole time from Jocko, Missouri.
1: Now, is that what led you to be a fan of the Giants meeting Buster Posey at a young
2: age? That, I mean, that has something to do with coming back to becoming a Giants fan, but my dad actually grew up a Giants fan. His family's from New York, and his mom was a Giants fan back when they were still out there. And my dad's family ultimately moved to Los Angeles before the Giants and the Dodgers made their trip out there in 1958. But he and his brothers stayed true to their roots and would only go to Chavez Rameen when the Giants were in town. And he grew up a uh, you know, Willie, uh, Willie fan. And so it's, I, just after hearing my dad's fond stories of the team, it's what got me into being a Giants fan. And then, of course, Buster Posey playing for them. One of our players getting drafted by them in the fairgrounds. It just was kind of a match made in heaven.
0: So yeah. Nice. So I don't get to talk to many Giants fans. As a Giants fan, Rachel, what are your actual thoughts on Barry Bonds?
2: Um, you know, I think as a a human, he, he's overcome some difficulties, and I think being pretty open about everything always is, you know, about what he's thinking is is good for him, but. You know, I definitely think there are some records broken that he probably shouldn't
0: have been able to keep, given the situation there. I don't know. I mean, I, I I've always kind of had the feeling that people that steroids is a little unfair. That people can't get in the Hall of Fame because you still had to hit all those home runs. I mean, right. you know, not everybody can just shoot up steroids and hit eight hundred home runs. I mean, yeah, he still had to do you know, it.
2: I don't think he doesn't deserve to be in the Hall of Fame. I think. Definitely a Hall of Fame caliber player, but it's the records that
0: were broken that get to me a little bit more. Well, no, he definitely. You know, when you look at him, he was like 180 pounds when he was like 25, and then suddenly he gets to 32 and he weighs like 280. <laughs> and it's a take. it's a little bit different in terms of your body size, but I think he was a Hall of Famer before that. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. I, mean, I definitely. You know, I'm of the opinion that guys yeah, should be in the Hall of Fame based on the numbers. You know, it's not a um, celebration of character um, being in the Hall of Fame. But um, real quick, just another score
1: update for Game Seven. Still two to nothing. Uh, Astros heading into the sixth inning. Um, I know we we're going to talk about some SEC football in a few minutes, but Rachel, I did want to give you the opportunity. To tell our listeners a little bit more about um, the work that you've done in minor league
2: baseball
1: and with uh, college athletics.
2: Yeah, so I started in minor league baseball. I was a promotions and game day intern for the Rock Rock Express, just outside of Boston. When I was with them, they were the AAA affiliate of the Rangers. Now they're with the Astros. They're they're owned by Nolan Ryan, so it it kind of flip flops there. Um, But it was a great experience. I did that before coming back to grad school. I wanted to make sure that it was the right path for me and during that first season there I had the opportunity to meet and interact with a lot of amazing fans just being out there on the field, on the dugouts, at customer service and so I decided to come back to grad school. So Southern Mist for its opportunities as graduate assistants and uh, so I became a graduate assistant for the athletic department in their ticket office. So I worked the box office for all the football games, volleyball games, half of the men's basketball games, and all of baseball. So I had the opportunity to get some hands-on experience there with some college baseball. I've been able to work the Conference USA Baseball tournament down at the Lexi, um, got to meet a lot of really awesome people that put that tournament off through the Conference USA office and the teams in general. And then, now I currently work for the Sports Management Department, but I spent my summer working as a ticket sales intern for the Pirates AA affiliate in Altoona, Pennsylvania, which is just 45 minutes away from State College there in Central Pennsylvania. I worked doing ticket sales, cold calling, face-to-face sales. A lot of different experiences there definitely got to experience another side of baseball you know the Northeast is very different than the South. Um, when I first got up there it was right during the College World Series and I would have that on my screen while making calls. Everyone thought I was crazy because I loved college baseball. Of course my team was doing pretty good so that got to be a little bit but I got to share a little of my passion for college baseball with them and they shared their passion for the Pirates pierogies
0: with me and brought me back down here to Southern Miss for the start of my last semester of grad school. So Rachel when you were working with uh, the minor league baseball team did y'all end up having any uh, pro players that we would know about that was in that franchise?
2: Yeah so I actually my last couple of weeks at Tuna friends, Francisco Cervelli, came and did a couple of rehab starts with us. Of course, he's a pretty popular Pirates catcher. The, the ladies bought a lot of tickets that night to come see him, so he was there. Uh, when I was back with Ground Rock, a couple of the players that are currently playing with the um, Rangers were there. Um, and then a couple of them have been traded around, but they're all pretty young, none of them were super notable I would say um, when I was working there, but it was, it was always cool to get a rehab start, it was just never even super popular 10 months ago had a rehab start right after I left I think, so I was kind I that one, so as a, <laughs> as a Giants fan, that one, that one was kind of sad, but you no, know, just kind of have been around it for you know about fifteen, sixteen years now, and so I've met a lot of really cool people along the way. You know, baseball is a small world, and you just you keep meeting people everywhere you go.
0: So, Rachel, if you haven't worked in both uh, minor league baseball and now working at Southern Miss, do you think you want to stick with working in a college sports environment, or do you think you'd rather go to minor league or work in a professional environment? You know, I think my heart is always going to be with college baseball and
2: minor league, so I'm actually looking at opportunities to work with a Southern Collegiate Baseball team. That's, you know, back down to my roots. We hosted summer collegiate players so you know having that opportunity is always something I've wanted to do. Now if the Royals came and offered me a job up in Kansas City. I would not turn it down uh, by any means but you know I don't think college is the place for me. It's a little too
0: political. Well, you know, sadly, we can never have you in Mobile anymore now that we've lost the Bay Bears, because I actually had a friend of mine that I became pretty good buddies with and I played tennis with, basically did the same thing that you did uh, for the minor leagues, so that was his, like, main job with the Bay Bears, and now that we lost them to Huntsville, he got transferred. To the Trash Pandas, yes. We lost them to the worst-named team in all of the Southern League, which... I still don't understand that because Huntsville had so many great ways they could have gone, like the Space Chumps, I think was the logical name for Huntsville, but didn't go with it. Uh, I think he's now working the same job that he had before, except somewhere like in central Michigan or something. So I think when you get, you know, get on that like line, you can go to all kinds of crazy places. Yeah, you know, I've had opportunities to go to a lot of different places. And some have turned down and just, you know, after living in
2: seven states years. I'm not ready to live that. You know, jump states every season, life. But you know, some people, and I hope I'm lucky enough to be like them, get to stay with a team and have a real good footprint with the team there.
1: Well, speaking of uh, having a footprint with the team, um, we referenced earlier that you are an Arkansas Razorbacks fan. Yes, I am. Right. Um, <laughs> a loyal one. And. Um, just want to get your thoughts. Um, I don't necessarily, I guess, want us to recap the banner Arkansas game. We all know what transpired on Saturday night, but um, just you know, your thoughts right now about you
2: know the season thus far for Arkansas. Uh, well, you know, we thought it would be better than last year. Right now, it's not looking a whole heck of a lot more promising. <laughs> We've still only got two wins and some losses that we might, shouldn't have had, but you know, I think the biggest thing for Arkansas is that quarterback slot, you know, you've got Higgs who started and then Starfle came in, I think being the second starter kind of messed with Starfle's head, now you've got Starfle's start, you know, not doing so great, so Higgs comes in again, he's been with Morris for a while, I think he was his coaching style, a little late came from SMU there, but then you know, let's not mess with that back and forth. Let's give that true freshman, John Stephen Jones, a chance. He's obviously from football royalty, and that's that's my thought. He's Jerry Jones' grandson, Jerry Jones' fun. He's the Dallas Cowboys. He played Arkansas. He still supports the Razorbacks. Um, And so I think he got to play briefly against Alabama, and I think the more snaps he takes, it'll be better for the rest of, you know, his time at Arkansas. Obviously, we weren't going to win that Alabama game. No one thought Arkansas was going to win. There was no hope for us. So I think, you know, him getting taken take a couple of snaps is definitely beneficial. But we'll see what happens this weekend against Mississippi State.
0: Well, Rachel, I was going to ask, how did what's happened with Nick Starkle? Because he was so great at Texas A and and he actually looked better than Kellen Mond did. And I mean, the only reason Mon even got to play was because Starkle got injured against UCLA that one time. So I, I'm just shocked to see that Starkle is not
2: not doing that well
0: with Arkansas. And I, when I saw that he transferred there, I was like, okay, they're going to be pretty good at the quarterback position this year. Yeah, you know, I think it's
2: a mind game for him you when know, he transferred from Texas A&M because he lost the starting position. He transferred to Arkansas start of the season was named second in line, got on fifth, so I think that really messed with his head, and, you know, it, it's a mind game. I'm obviously not a football player, not a quarterback, I don't really know what happens in the pocket, but uh, you know, I think just the back and forth between the two is a little difficult, not knowing if he's secure in his spot, if he has the support of his coaches and his teammates. And you know, I think it's really messing with him. I think if we were a little bit more confident in him, it might look a little better, but he also you know, the defense has not been message if confident about. So, you know. Well, I wanted to ask you about Chad Morris now specifically. Yeah. Um, this
1: is his second year in Fayetteville. The one thing, though, I have noticed about him, yeah. just completely objectively, is that while he was a great recruiter at Clemson, And while he did have one winning season at SMU, it does appear, coincidentally, that as soon as he leaves the program, the program
2: takes (laughs) off, like Clemson did in 2015, and SMU now undefeated. Yeah. You know, he's obviously recruited some great players, I think. You know, recruiting is great, but it's what you can do with those recruits that matters. And, you know, maybe... Whoever
0: comes after him, is able to mold those recruits just a little bit better. Yeah, you know, uh, because it was interesting to me because he had such a bad year last year. I think he only won three games. And then he was able to get a top-20 recruiting class, and it seemed like maybe you'd get a little bit more success this year. And even with that recruiting class, I guess they're all freshmen right now. You still would expect a little bit of improvement. You just hadn't really seen much. Yeah, you know, roughly 70% of the
2: football team's freshmen and sophomores, so they're all they're all still really young. I'm not as far removed from Arkansas as a lot of people think, and yet I only recognize a handful of players on the team that I watch now. A lot of people are gone and graduated, and it's a new team to be working with. And, you know, I do think there's something to be said for his ability to recruit in Texas. That's not something, you know, Arkansas has been super great out in the past. So. We get those Florida recruits. They have those Midwest boys coming up, but we haven't had a strong boat you know, over to Texas. And I think, you know, that's an opportunity that Morris can capitalize on. But it's once he gets those recruits in his hands, we'll see what happens. But you
0: know, having a top twenty
2: recruiting class is great, but if they can't produce, then
1: they you know as good maybe. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned the Texas Connection. I was reading that he used to be the head coach at Stephenville High School in Texas. He was actually the high school coach of Jed and Snead, who played in Miss, ironically. Um, but, you know, he does have some talent on the roster, most notably Rakeem Boyd. Yeah. I mean, is Boyd's talent just being wasted, I guess, here?
2: No. Arkansas's running game has always been a little bit interesting for me. It seems like they like to run up the middle a lot, even when it's not successful. And then they just keep repeating same like Villamo did it and Morris is doing it now. It made a little bit more sense when Villamo was trying it because he had that huge size of the O-line that you create a at. The O-line is definitely not what it used to be size-wise at Arkansas, so I think don't think running it up the middle It's going to be the smartest play, even for a player as talented as a team boy. I think giving him the opportunity to run it outside a little bit, you might be able to capitalize on his talents a little bit more.
0: Well, yeah, I think I saw, Rachel, that when they played at Auburn, they actually showed a stat line between the Auburn defensive line and then the Arkansas offensive line. And Auburn's defensive line was only like two pounds lighter per average than, than Arkansas's offensive line, which you almost never see that disparity in a football game. It's usually like twenty pounds heavier on the O line. Right, but four or five years
2: ago, Arkansas had the largest O line right. in all of football,
0: like larger than any NFL team. So it, it's so weird, you know, to see it show you so much. Well. I want to ask, too, how big do you think this game is this weekend against Mississippi State? Because this seems like a game that Arkansas could maybe even win, and I think that would do a lot for, yeah. for Chad Morris to just get a SEC win this year. Yeah,
2: you know, it's a home game for Arkansas. It's coming. You know, there's some potential there. It's going to be cold. They're expecting some snow and sleep this weekend, so that, you know, those Mississippi players aren't quite used to the cold yet. Um it's a little bit colder in Arkansas than it is here in Mississippi. But I think, you know, it's a potential win. Obviously state hasn't been super successful in these last couple of weeks. Um so, you know, I think if if they got that win it would it would be great, not only for Morris and Miss Pagan staff, but for the Mitsubishi and every reason of in the state of Arkansas. Yeah, also, <laughs> also my-
0: also Mike calls Joe and Zo as well, and
2: I think that's another potential win, maybe. So, well, so yeah, I mean go ahead. Jack. I I do think too that Mississippi
1: State the, uh, after them they lost to Tennessee, I feel like you know, it's not completely outside of the realm of possibility that you can see them also dropping the game
0: on the road to Arkansas.
1: No, I definitely think it's
0: possible. And, you know, I think, too, if you can get that win and he can have another solid recruiting class, I mean, he's not on any issue losing his job this year. Um, Rachel, what do you think as an Arkansas fan that Chad Morris needs to do next year to keep his job after next season? Do you think he needs to make a bowl game or maybe we got like five wins? I don't
2: think he necessarily needs to make a bowl game. I think four wins in a season might be not asking too much but maybe next year we can get four wins the following year get a bowl game you know we haven't had a bowl game quite some time so since my senior year I guess or what would have been my senior year so um, you know I, I I don't think a bowl game next year is something that's really possible but maybe four wins next year, bowl game the year after that. I don't want to get my hopes up. <laughs> those, those heartbreak tend to, to get hopes up again and then crash and burn.
0: So. Well, speaking of heartbreak, Rachel, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, my heartbreak, and that is losing to LSU and Baton Rouge yet again for the 20th straight season. Um you know, I can barely remember 1999 when Auburn had the cigar game where they beat, uh, LSU and Baton Rouge. And since then, I mean, it's been nothing pretty much but close games that we lose. And then yet again, we lose 23 to 20 in a game where we had a lot of opportunities to win. And, uh, Joe, as someone that was not heavily as invested in me in that, in that game, uh, what were your thoughts about it? And do you feel like there was maybe a lot of missed holding calls, uh, there and, little bit of home cooking that got LSU to the W in
1: that one? Yeah, I mean, penalties definitely impacted the game. Uh, Gus Malzahn was talking about all the pre-snap penalties that they suffered that really you know hurt some field position for offense. But you know, back Rouge the roots is just such a difficult place to play, especially at night. But how many coaches have we really seen win there consistently? I mean, I can think of maybe Nick Saban and Houston Nutt is the only coaches recently that have won consecutive seasons in that venue. It's a tough place for a reason, and it's made it even tougher, I feel like, uh, when you're facing this year's edition of LSU's offense with Joe Burrow. I mean, if Burrow is going to throw for over 300 yards, and Edwards Flair is going to rush for like 130, I mean, they're going to win a lot of games. And that's the reason that, you know, obviously there's so many LSU fans felt feel like they're positioned well
0: to make a run right at the whole thing this year. You know, it's funny, Joe. Uh, my, my very biased pick about Auburn winning 24-23, to 23, if DJ Williams doesn't step out of bounds at the nine-yard line, that would have been a touchdown instead of a field goal, and it could have been 24-23 to because that right. would have given us the extra points right there. I was thinking about that the other day. i have been like, wow. But, you know, in the end, Auburn had a couple chances in the red zone, and they didn't capitalize on it. And LSU doubled them up offensively. I mean, they had over 500 yards. Auburn barely got 280, so didn't get to 300. But uh, just a really, really kind of upsetting game. And I feel like Auburn's wasting what could be the best defense in the SEC and maybe in America right now. Yeah, I mean, they're they're
1: fantastic. The defensive front with Derek Brown – I feel like Bo Nix is still a year or two
0: away from really solidifying himself as that all-conference quarterback. All the talent in the world is just not quite as efficient enough right now. Yeah. You know, Rachel, I feel like if Auburn had a running back like Hakeem Boyd, actually, then I think we probably would be undefeated right now because Bibi Wedlow has been a good running back but his injury prone. <laughs> And I really think that even Rakim Boyd would be enough to put Auburn in, in, the, in the W column in those two games. They just needed a little bit more rushing attack. Yeah, it's
2: quite possible but
0: that's a win. It, it is. I wish he had chosen us. I don't know if we even recruited no. him. <laughs>
2: well,
0: I was your coach and choosing us. So. That's true. He didn't he did <laughs> have that choice. Well, you know what he did, Rachel? He used Arkansas to make himself a lot of money at Auburn. <laughs> <laughs> Although, I do notice that every time he uh, he plays Arkansas, he makes sure and put it on Arkansas more than he puts it on anyone else. I feel like there's a little bit of animosity he has there.
2: Just a little bit. <laughs> you know, speaking of playing the Baton Rouge, you know, if you, I just looked it up. Since 2007, Arkansas has beaten LSU in Baton Rouge twice. They've beaten the number one ranked LSU team in Baton Rouge. So that's always something I can plug if you have the worst season and still beat LSU. You know, we've oh, yeah. Even rushed the field and gotten in before. You're beating LSU in the field in era 2014. So, you know, it's definitely, you know, people can win in LSU. People can win in that group.
0: It's, yes. it's,
2: <laughs>
0: it's just, it's just <laughs> not, <laughs> not Auburn. It's <laughs> just not Auburn. And we've heard the Arkansas uniform. All right, Rachel. Well, we really loved having you on the show. Um, We'll get you back another time maybe with some more baseball talk. And uh, I want everybody to to listen to us on Facebook Live and to our Spotify post. And as always, I'm Dan. And I'm Jeff.